know, singles uh, in our culture are very pressured to sort of move on, reach that next stage of life. So if you've never been married, it's sort of like, when are you going to get married, you know? And then once you get married, it's like, when are you going to have kids? And then once you have kids, it's like, when are you going to buy a house? There's like sort of all these like rites of passages that our culture has that are really lots of pressure. Uh, if you've been divorced, uh, then typically there's a lot of pressure of when are you going to be married again? If you're widowed, uh, people are like, when are you going to get like back out there and like start playing the game again? Find yourself a man or a woman, you know? Uh, and, and so here's the message. If you're single today and you were to listen only to the, to the message of the culture to you and your stage of life, Or your singleness, regardless of how long it lasts, the message that the culture wants to tell you is to be single, is to be incomplete. Uh, And in fact, uh, we we do this uh, in the way that we set up our entire culture. Did you know that our culture is completely set up for packs of four? Uh, Our culture expects you to get married and have two kids. You have three kids, you've had too many, right? Four kids, you get your own reality show. You know, I mean, it's just like everything is in packs of four. So get married, have two kids, have a little white picket fence. Uh, you go to a restaurant, four chairs around a table. You go to a booth, try to shove five people in a booth, six people in a booth, and you're like snuggling while you're trying to eat. It's just uh, everything in our culture is surrounded uh, by packs of four. Dishes are sold in packs of four, or in case you want to have another pack of four over, they're sold in, in packs of eight. Right, but that doesn't work well for two. Uh, we have buy one get one coupons, which work out great if you're two or four. Buy one get one. Single buy one get one. Unless you want two, that ain't gonna work, right? So I had a buy one get one uh, coupon at Culver's not long ago, and Amy was out of town, so I go into Culver's and I'm like, I have a buy one get one, but I'm a single, and so can I just get one half price? Because it's the same discount. And they were like, no. And so I was feeling it. You know, I was feeling like the, the, whole, the whole thing, our whole culture is set up with this idea that to be single is to be incomplete. So if you're single today and you have all this social pressure coming at you to stop being single, then you have one line of defense. You have the trump card of all trump cards. And so I want to teach you this line so whenever somebody's pressuring you or you're feeling all this pressure, you can just say this thing and it will shut the people up, I promise. Here's your line. Jesus was single. That's all you got to say. They're giving you a hard time. They're like all this stuff. And you just be like, Psh, Jesus was single. And I'm just trying to be like Christ, you know? And then what can they say to that? Nothing, nothing. And then if you need a second layer of defense, just be like the apostle Paul was single too. Boom, you know, and just throw it in their face. And they'll be like, actually, I'm sorry that I ever got married. And they're like, everything will just really go in your favor, okay? So single people, you know, that's, that's for you today. Just want to be a blessing to you, help you out in this, in this society of lots of, of pressure. So we're going to look at singleness today. And uh, what I hope to capture is sort of a biblical view of, of singleness and uh, this is the, the last week of our Truly, Madly, Deeply series. Uh, let me give you kind of a road map of, of, of where we're headed from here. Um, in a couple, next week, um, we're going to uh, be out of town because the, 
The Parsonage has sold, everyone. Very good. We, we talked about that. Uh, I haven't given you an update at all, uh, but the Parsonage is where my wife and I live uh, way back when. Uh, we, the church voted, you all voted, to sell the Parsonage. The closing date is Friday. The house that we're buying, the closing date isn't until the next Friday. And we thought about just seeing the you know, world from the homeless person's point of view and, and sleeping in a cardboard box, all four of us. But we decided instead to go to Andy's parents in Iowa. Uh, so we're going to be gone next Sunday, but we have a very special speaker that will be here live and in person. So no video next week. We'll have a live speaker. Uh, and then after that, we're going to look at a series uh, called Rich. And we're going to talk about uh, being rich and probably not in the way that you would think. Okay, so this is the last week of uh, Truly Madly Deeply. That's where we're headed uh, in the next few weeks. Uh, I've entitled this message, Deeply Single. Now, before you guys start hating on me uh, about that title, I want you to know there's a method to the madness. You know, don't, don't quite get your emails ready yet, okay? Uh, so let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, the Apostle Paul, your, your number two defense line, the Apostle Paul was single, talks a lot about singleness uh, in this chapter, and so we're going to read about that, uh, see what he has to say, and uh, see what we can uh, learn from it. Uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of commentary right up front, so th- those of you that are frustrated when a pastor doesn't just read the passage and he has to give all of his own commentary, prepare to be frustrated. Uh, we're going to get about through three words, and then I'm going to start giving some commentary, but it's all good. Uh, then we'll get through it, okay? First Corinthians chapter 7, uh, starting with verse 25. You can follow along in your Bible, uh, on your electronic device, on the screens here, uh, How are you like. Now, here, here it is, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting with verse 25. Now about virgins. Now what Paul is really saying, I told you three words and then we'd get a commentary. What Paul is really saying here is he's addressing single folks. And I just want to call it out today that those of you that are single, according to statistics, you probably aren't a virgin. But that's what Paul's talking about, okay? So the biblical view is if you're single, you really shouldn't be having sex. That's another time, another place. But if you're doing that, stop that. Now about the virgins. Paul's talking to single people. I have no command from the Lord, but I give judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. In other words, Paul is not giving us a command, but think of this rather as advice from a mentor that you really respect. So what's following, Paul says right up front, this is not a command from the Lord, but rather this is coming from me, one who has good judgment, one who is trustworthy, what I have to say to you as it relates to being unmarried. Okay, so that's what Paul is doing here. He's not laying down any kind of law. He's not laying down any kind of commands. He's simply giving us some perspective from a trusted mentor. That's what he's saying here, okay? So, now about the virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give you judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. And because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. One last thought, one last understanding that we need to get before we read the rest of the passage. What in the world is the present crisis? Because I think that sets the tone for everything else that Paul goes on to say. Uh, that he says, you know, because of this present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. The present crisis that Paul is referring to is that in Corinth, at the time of this writing, there is a famine going on. 
And so the poor are getting poorer. Those who didn't have much financial means are beginning to starve, wonder where their next meal is going to come from. And so Paul is essentially saying, single people, don't worry about getting a wife if you don't know where your next meal is coming from. Okay? So in regards to the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Now let's read the rest without interruption. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. Good news, married people. Okay. Uh, so if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you of this. Do not hit your spouse with your elbow and say amen. I'm, just trying, I'm trying to help everybody out today. Now I promise no more comments. Verse 29. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who are married should live as if they were not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. Now, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs and how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and Spirit, but a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a, in a right way in undivided de- devotion to the Lord. Now, if anyone is worried that he might not act honorably against the, uh, toward the version he is engaged to, and she is getting beyond the usual age of marriage, then he feels, and he feels that he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Now, it would be easy to read a passage like this, and having just come from a uh, message last week where we talked about the great gift of marriage and, and God's sort of design and plan for marriage, it would be easy for us to come to this passage and, and read something like this and begin to think less of the marriage relationship. But that should not be so. So right at the very beginning, on a message about singleness, I want to uphold the, the value and the estate of the married life. Marriage is a tremendous gift. We should, it is a good thing to seek after marriage. Ephesians chapter 5 shows us this. Paul, the same author that just wrote this passage, also wrote the passage that we looked at last week in Ephesians chapter 5 that gives us instructions for marriage. This says that marriage is a relationship uh, that is among, among humans that is meant to point us to the greater love and commitment of God the Father and that it is to be for us a signpost that points us to the great 
love and commitment of God that he has for us. And so we can't come to this passage and say, oh, well, there you have it. Marriage is, is, is terrible. Uh, I, I told you that marriage wasn't worth it. I told you that marriage would never work. I told you that marriage isn't God's plan. That cannot be so. We still have to read this passage in light of all the other counsel of Scripture that upholds the marriage relationship as a good and godly thing meant to point us and one another in the marriage relationship to the greater love of the Father. So marriage is a gift. But the thing that we have to understand biblically is that singleness is also a gift. Paul is not saying that one is better than the other. Paul is simply saying they are both a gift. Paul's message is completely clear that it's unclear where he stands. It's completely clear that Paul wants to ride right in the middle of the line, right on the top of the fence. He says, if you are compelled to be married, great. If you are not compelled to be married, great. There you have it. Have a nice day. Let's enjoy the barbecue. Paul's message is both marriage and singleness are gifts. So what are you called to? What are you compelled toward? What are you gifted for? And essentially the bottom line that we can learn from this passage is this. The cultural message of singleness simply is not true. If you are here today and you are single and you have heard over and over through messages of culture that you are somehow incomplete, that you are somehow divided, that you are somehow less valuable because of your relationship status, do not believe the lie. Because Christianity upholds this one truth, that singleness is, adult singleness is a viable way of life. Remember your tagline? Jesus was single. Okay? So the Bible all over, whether it's talking specifically about it or not, affirms that singleness is a, is a viable way of life. So in other words, being single does not mean that you are incomplete or that you need to move on to the next chapter to find someone, to, to get a girl, to find a man, any of that other stuff. But I want to talk to you um, about the single life. Um, and I, and I, the reason that I've titled this message Deeply Single is because I, I believe that if you're single here today, uh, you have two options before you. And, and I've tried to formulate this so that regardless of, of your stage of life or how you came to be single, in other words, I want to recognize those who have been divorced, those who have been widowed, those who just have never married. Uh, I, I still think that there's sort of two options open to you uh, as a single person. And the first is living deeply single. And uh, that is to say that uh, I, I, I see this a lot in uh, single people that, that are living deeply single. And that is that they live in a state of desperation and loneliness. Uh, they have a, an over-concern or an over-desire for marriage. And they are, this is, these are the folks that are, are looking around every corner for a spouse, uh, which is what they were point, poking fun at in the video. It's like, I went, we went to coffee and he's not the one. We went to coffee and he's totally the one. You know I mean? Like just kind of like looking around every corner for that spouse. Uh, and, and I think this is an unhealthy way of life um, to live deeply single. 
oftentimes the, the person that lives deeply single is looking to someone to affirm that they are good enough. In other words, uh, you may be here today and single and have believed the lie that you are less valuable because of your relationship status and you seek out a mate in order to say they are affirming that I'm good enough, they are affirming that I'm marriage material, and then if I can just attach myself to them, then the culture will believe what I have come uh, to, to disregard, and that is my worth or my value. In other words, I will be valuable only when I get a spouse or when someone says to me, yes, you are, you're good enough, you're marriage material. And that simply is an unhealthy and I believe unbiblical way of life. Let me give you a couple signs of this. One sign of being too deeply single is attaching emotionally too quickly. Um, so it's not uncommon for me to hear about a couple that's been dating a month and one of them says that they are madly in love. And uh, I kind of think, really? Madly in love after one month? You don't even know this person in one month. Um, and, and actually, let me, this is a side note, um, but when Amy and I were dating, I, I had like certain strict like uh, deadlines of when we would you know, do certain things or certain markers in the relationship. So I said, you know, regardless of what I feel emotionally, uh, I won't tell her that I love her before six months because if I was convinced that I loved her in the first month and went and declared my love for her, she would slap me. You know, and be like, what are you, crazy after one month? And then uh, I just knew that we wouldn't be engaged until after one year because I wanted to see her for a period of one year, live life. Because in the period of one year, you will usually have great ups and great downs. But if I only see her for a short period of time, react, what if her life is going really well, we get married, and then things get tough and I realize that she cannot handle challenge or disappointment in her life. And so I just said, we will not get engaged before the one year mark because I want to see her in a period of one year and I'm glad I did. Because one August morning, I went to meet her for class and her eyes were, were watery and puffy and her nose was full of snot and she talked weird. And I said, what in the world happened to you? And she said, well, I have allergies. Good to know. What if I had woken up next to her? I would have been like, what happened? Right? So I'm just saying, now, now you all don't know Amy and all, all of her allergies because the Lord healed her once we moved to, the, to God's space, Colorado. Okay? So it's all good. I love you deeply. So couples will come in, they've been dating once, one, you, know, you know, one month, and they'll say, oh, I'm so madly in love. Well, let me tell you what that is often code for. It is often code that I am attracted to this person because they can meet my needs and address my insecurities. That is to say that I'm unsure of myself as a single person. There's someone that comes along that touches all of those right sort of emotional buttons and begins to speak to my emotional needs. And my response is this 
feeling of falling in love or being madly in love, it can happen right after one coffee date. But what's happening is that in this relationship, you will demand and control rather than serve and give. Do you remember last week when I talked about how the marriage relationship is not about taking, but rather about giving? It's about being filled up by Christ so that we can empty ourselves into the life of the other person. But if you are deeply single and you're feeling madly in love after one date or one month or a very short period of time, chances are they are addressing your insecurities and you're setting yourself up to control and demand in that relationship versus serve and give. Now, I didn't think I'd get an amen, but that's the truth, okay? And I feel it is my responsibility as God's mouthpiece to this community to speak truth, regardless of how popular it may be. And here's why it's destructive. Because you will constantly be asking your potential spouse or the person that you're dating to address your insecurities. And when they don't, you will be angry and you will try to control them so that your needs are met. But again, the proper view of marriage is that I'm filled up by Christ so that I can empty myself out to the other person. And that as we're both emptying our lives into one another, there's a great fulfillment. For God says, Jesus says, if you want to find your life, you must lose it. But if all you're trying to do is seek to find it, by in that taking attitude, you will actually lose it. And that's the truth about marriage. And so I want to, some of you are living so deeply single that you will attach to anyone that meets your emotional insecurities. And my, my message to you today is don't look to them to meet your emotional insecurities, but rather look to the only one who is fully qualified to satisfy them, and that is Christ. Now, there is a difference between a supportive spouse and expecting them to always build up my insecurities. In those moments where we are insecure in a married relationship, we need that supportive spouse. But they cannot be the source. The source must be Christ. Okay? So I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that our spouse isn't supportive or come alongside of us in times of uncertainty or any of that. I'm saying that the source simply must be Christ. So that's part of being deeply single. Deeply single can also be evidenced by putting our self-confidence in someone else's uh, opinion of you. Uh, that is placing my self-confidence, my worth, my value in what that person thinks of me. Let me tell you a story. I was deeply single in college. I was head over heels for this girl named Angela. And uh, I thought for sure we were going to get married. She was pretty. She was popular. She was talented. She was everything I ever wanted on paper. Uh, but I began to attach my value and worth to her as I was trying to pursue her, trying to get us to be a couple, uh, doing all of this stuff. And um, in that process, I gave away my self-confidence to her. So if she didn't flirt with me or if she didn't say hi to me, I would go with my, my shoulders slumped and my head down and say, I must, I must suck. I must not be valuable. And when she began to see that in me, she, she left. She said, I'm, you know, She's told the truth and said, you're not anybody that I would want to be with because you're not confident and secure in who you are in Christ. And it took a period of healing for me to move on from being deeply single. 
But I was, I was struggling with self-worth. I was struggling with value. And when I found someone that I thought liked me, I gave my value away. And I put it in their hands. That's a terrible place to put your value and your worth as a person. Again, I was looking to her to satisfy something that only Christ can really satisfy. And that is to give me certainty of my value and my purpose and my worth. Another part of being deeply single, and I'm not going to stay here too long, but another part of being uh, deeply single is scared of being alone. Some of you are so scared of being alone that you are more scared of that than of being with the wrong person. And so you will attach yourself to anyone that is willing to be in a relationship with you but really, you're not building into that relationship. You're not building into them. You are using them as a security blanket to be there to cast off your loneliness when it comes. And that is a sign of being deeply single, of, of just keeping someone around. And, and this, is, this is usually evidenced by people who um, you look over the last years of their life and there's never been a significant season without a significant other and that always worries me because something is drawing that person to other people and and my guess is and typically what I've seen is that those people that are, are deeply single and they're using other people to chase away the loneliness because they're so scared of being alone if that's you today and God is kind of nudging on your shoulder Maybe your next step today is to break up. Because it's not a healthy way to be in relationship. And God wants to satisfy that within you. And he's the only one that can. And until you reach that point, you'll always be looking to other people to do that. So the first option is to live deeply single. The good news is, there's a second option. And that is to live deeply as a single. You can live deeply single, or you can live deeply as a single. And that is to say that I'm living intentionally as a single person, seeing it as a gift I'm living intentionally as a single person and realizing that whether God has me single for a season or re- whether God has me single for the rest of my life, I'm going to portray and I'm going to frame my singleness and recognize that it is a great gift from God. That, that me being single in this season or the rest of my life is God's best for me. If you're single today, can you embrace that? Can you embrace the fact that that this may be God's best for you and give him praise because of it? Because what happens is we, we idolize marriage and we say that singleness is this horrible state of affairs. This happens in the church. It happens all over in ancient culture. But we say this is the life that everybody wants. This is the life that nobody wants. And so if I'm stuck here, I just need to climb the ladder into marriage so that I can be valuable. I can be worthy. I can, I can be recognized by culture. But what the Bible does is not this. 
What the Bible does and what Paul does in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is he puts them on equal ground. And he says marriage is a tremendous gift and it offers up all kinds of great things, but also recognize that singleness is a gift. And it also is, is, is sort of predisposed to all sorts of great things and great opportunities. Let me give you a history lesson. Christianity is the first world religion that held up single adulthood as a viable way of life. All the other world religions and nearly all ancient cultures made an absolute value out of family and bearing children. In other words, it, 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 was, it was this message. There is no honor outside of family honor was the message of ancient cultures, ancient religions all over the place. You have no honor outside the honor of your family. You have no lasting legacy outside of, of, those, of your heirs and those who will come behind you. In other words, they placed all of their hope, all of their significance into getting married and having children. And if I couldn't do that, then the message of ancient culture and probably the message of modern culture was that you have no hope. And no future. Because all your hope was placed in, in being married. All of your legacy was placed into having children. And, it, and, it, and in fact, what happened in ancient culture is that widows were pressured to remarry and in some cases fined if they didn't remarry in the first two years after being widowed. This is what was happening in ancient culture. But because of Paul's stance on singleness, the early church did not pressure people to be married. And some of the single people are like, oh, we need to capture that again, right? The early church put no pressure on the, on, on those, the members that were single in their community to hurry up and get married. Because again, the, the, the Bible puts, puts it out there and says, this is a viable way of life. And what it ultimately was saying to all the world religions and all the culture around it is that my hope is not found in my family or my marriage or my legacy through my children, but rather my hope is, is founded and squarely on Christ himself. And that was a, a dramatic and profound message among this culture in, in ancient history. To say that singleness was a viable way of life and that our hope was not in our family or in our legacy through our children, but rather it was placed firmly on Christ. And I think we've lost this in the church. I think, this, I think the single people face a lot of pressure to get married. And uh, Amy and I both went to a Christian college. And, uh, you know, we graduated just, just forever ago. I mean, we've been married 11 years. We're just old people. Uh, and so just forever ago, we were in college, you know, back in whenever that was, when DC Talk was like making music way back then, you know. And so we were, we were in college, and uh, there was all kinds of pressure for people to get married. And, and, and people would look at uh, women who were in their senior year and didn't have a significant other, and they were like, I don't know what your major is, but you just need an MRS degree. Some of you are going to get that later because that is good, Right? An MRS degree? Anybody with me? It is funnier than you guys are making it sound. <sighs> Man, you guys are killing me. There's all kinds of pressure. 
So while the culture was pressuring people to get married and do all this stuff and fining widows for not getting married within two years, the Christian church was saying this is a viable way of life. We're not going to pressure you to get married. And in fact, when you hear the Bible talk about taking care of widows, part of that is if we understand the cultural context around that, where widows were faced with so much pressure to get remarried, the, the Christians would take care of the widow to make it financially feasible for them not to remarry. So they would take care of them, meet their needs, so that they didn't have to remarry. It was a very in-your-face sort of thing. In other words, the Christian gospel and the hope of the future kingdom de-idolized marriage in ancient culture where other religions said the ho- your hope is in your heirs christianity said my hope is in christ where culture said you're incomplete where modern culture says you're incomplete without marriage christianity says you are made whole in christ alone and single christians were bearing testimony that their future was not guaranteed by children but by god and that god was their hope not their not family theologian stanley Howarth says says this for christians do not place their hope in their children, but rather their children are a sign of their hope that God has not abandoned this world. Did you catch that? Christians do not place their hope in their children, but rather their children are a sign of their hope that God has not abandoned this world. Now, I know that uh, I said at the very beginning that single people often will envy married people for the companionship that marriage offers. I want to share good news with you today if you're single. That God's design for the church and his community is such that you are not relationally robbed of anything as a single person. That is to say that the, the, the the, the deepest and most significant Relational experiences can be found in Christian community as well as marriage. And that's, God, that's by God's design for his community. Cross-gender enrichment happens when we move beyond the superficial, right down to what God is teaching us and how he is working in our lives to form us and to grow us. And in some ways, as I was studying for this, this message, I, I, I read something that I agree with, and it said that in, in some ways the marriage life is limiting. In other words, you have to be really careful about cross-gender relationships when you're married. But as a single person, you can enjoy some of the richest relationships cross-genderly. And that is by God's design that you can do that. And so... I I just want to give you the assurance today that if you're single, you're not being robbed of any kind of relational significance because God's design is that that is found in the church. And my hope and my prayer is that you will find that kind of level of community here at this church. And and I want to tell you that today that if you're, if you're, aching for community, if you're looking for community, I, I, I want to tell you and I want to admit to you right up front, I cannot build a community for you. And, and I might go so far as to say that that's not even, as your pastor, my responsibility. My responsibility to you is to allow you opportunity to build community. 
And we do that in some really profound ways, like a life group that's studying something deep and very personal. And some of you will say, that's exactly what I'm going through. And so you'll join that group and that there will be sort of this immediate connection and community. But we also do that in really simple ways, like church barbecues. I can't form a community for you, but what I can do as, a, as the leader of this church is provide opportunities for you to experience this kind of community that God has designed. And so singles must learn to embrace singleness as a gift. And if they long one day for marriage, Paul stays right in the middle and says that marriage is a great gift, but so is singleness. We should not, be, we should not over-desire marriage and live deeply single, but we can know but we can long for marriage and still live deeply as a single. A woman named Paige Brown, who is single, wrote an article on this very topic, and she says this. This is her conclusion. Let's face it, singleness is not an inherently inferior state of affairs, but I want to be married, and I pray to that end every day. And I may meet someone and walk down the aisle in the next couple of years because God is so good to me. And I may never have another date because God is so good to me. And I think she lands precisely where Paul lands. That marriage and singleness are a gift. And what Paul wants to do is he wants to assert the goodness of God and he wants to point us to the point. And the point is not your relationship status. Can you believe that? In a, in, a, in a passage of scripture where Paul is talking about directly to the unmarried, the point of the passage is not at all your relationship status. The point is the work of Christ in the world. Paul says that time is quick, this world in its present form is quickly passing away. And so get to work is the point of the passage. Right? And now, now some of us, when we read this passage, the assumption that many will make right when they hear that when Paul believes that this world, it, what they will assume and believe is that this world is going to be destroyed in favor of an altogether different world located somewhere high up in the sky. And that is not Paul's point at all. But rather, Paul believes in the overlap of the ages. In the Old Testament, they preached of a coming Messiah that would begin the new age of God's kingdom where death and decay would be banished. And so the Old Testament is sort of like this current age of brokenness, death, and decay. And then as soon as the Messiah comes, there will be a line and the new age will start. And it will be fully realized. But in the New Testament, Jesus comes announcing that he is, in fact, the long-awaited Messiah. But instead of taking up a throne, he takes up a cross. And instead of bringing judgment, he bore judgment on his body. And so Jesus did, in fact, bring God's kingdom, but quietly into the world. And we enter into this kingdom through repentance and faith and his power. The kingdom power, resurrection power is among us right now. And right now the world is being put back to right. But the old world still hangs around. And we need to look no further than this weekend to realize that. The evil still holds a grip. The old way of life is still hanging around. Death, decay, and disease still hold a grip on our world. And so we live in the overlap. We live where God's kingdom is very real and present and breaking in, but where evil and death and decay are still present. But God's kingdom and the power to renew all of creation has broken into this old world of things. And even though the old world is still around, it is doomed and it's living on borrowed time. 
That's good news, Christians. That's good news, that the old order of way is living on borrowed time, or as Paul says it, it is passing away. And so Paul makes this really clear statement. The time is short. This world as we know it is passing away. And he's not saying that as in the world is hell. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. So let's just get out of here. He's saying that the world in its current state and all of its brokenness and all of its evil and this world where people walk into theaters and open fire, that world is passing away. And relationally, what he says is this has all kinds of implications for us. And the implication is, if you are married, seek to have your marriage centered on Christ and the work of Christ. If you are single, seek to understand your singleness as a gift and work for God's kingdom. That's the point. We shouldn't be so concerned about what that line says on our Facebook profiles where it says relational status. Because Paul's message is to us is do the work of the kingdom in the world and help bring and help work for his kingdom. In other words, you're married. If you're married, your married life should be centered on Christ and ministry together. And this, your married life, affords you all kinds of possibilities for ministry in God's kingdom. But guess what, single folks? You have also available to you all kinds of opportunities for work in the kingdom that simply are not available to the married person. You have all kinds of, of, of freedom that a married person may not have. And I'm not trying to put you in a box as though you have nothing to do and you have all kinds of time in the world. I know that, that singleness has all kinds of implications and busyness and all of that. But the reality that Paul wants to point us to is that the married life lends itself to particular kinds of ministry in the same way that the single life lends itself to particular kinds of ministry. And so Paul says, the time is short. Remain as you are. Work for his kingdom. I just gave you all of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 in a sentence. Okay? That's exactly what he's saying. Each, rela- each status of relationship is a gift. Each one lends itself to particular kinds of ministry. All of these ministries are necessary. And Paul's message is that all of these things are urgent. And that is what Paul points us to as the point. And we got to learn some stuff along the way. 